Greetings and welcome back to the Clarity Podcast. So excited to have our friend Dick Foth with us back for a session of Back Channel with Foth. And then we'll jump into our interview with Jim Burns on his book, um, Creating an Intimate Marriage. Dick, Dick, so excited to have you back with us on the podcast today. Great to be with you. It's always great to be with you. So... Dick, got two questions for you today. Um, Number one is, with the rising rates of anxiety and depression in pastors and missionaries, what wisdom do you have um, to those struggling with these? I think I have a question. Okay. And the question is, why? Hmm. And there are a lot of sort of upfront answers to that. Well, COVID, we've been separated for this. Well, there's wars all over the world and a big one going on in Europe. And, you know, I mean, we, yeah. we just add things. We, we just add things uh, that we can uh, see very easily. I, I would say that these things are natural. Hmm. Um, you say, well, depression's not natural, you know, and what? Well, Various levels of it are natural, hmm. um, and I think it it gets exacerbated okay. when you have something like um, this is this is something I've always done. This is my role. This is my um, rhythm, and then yeah. it's interrupted. Okay, and I feel this sense of grief or loss. Back in the day when I was president of a small college. Um, I went from being a pastor where uh, I had been, quote, founding pastor, a church planter, and the congregation grew and I was trusted. And I walked into an academic environment where oftentimes administration, I put that in quotes, isn't trusted. There's sort hmm. of a natural divide. And over time that got to me and I was struggling. And my brother-in-law, who was a psychologist, said to me, why do you travel every weekend? I said, well, you know, I'm promoting the school and I'm doing this or that and the other. He said, can I tell you why I think you do? I said, hmm. sure. He said, I think you, you have moderate depression from the struggle you're facing in your new role. And you speak on the weekends because you're affirmed. And wow. that helps you. Wow. Well, um, you know, when I, when I look for examples of yeah. what I would call clinical depression, the huge one for me from the Old Testament is Elijah hmm. after Mount Carmel, First Kings yeah. eighteen and nineteen. I mean, I mean, calls down fire from heaven. He talks trash to the prophets of Baal. Hasn't rained for three and a half years. He, he kills a few hundred of the prophets. I mean, in pastoral terms, he had a fantastic weekend. Yeah. Right? <laughs> And then he outruns a chariot. He runs 17 miles and beats Ham's chariot to Jezreel. And then, and then Jezebel sends him an email, a text. Yeah. Both paraphrase, dude, you're dead before the sun goes down. That's, hmm. that's how it's going to be. And it says that he went to the edge of the, of the area where he was, and he left his manservant. And he walked into the desert, sat down under a tree, and said, I just want to die. Clearly, he's in depression. Clearly, he's not thinking well, because if he wanted to die, all he had to do was stay in town. Jezebel's going to take him out, <laughs> right? <laughs> so he and and he wanders back over over a, a time period, you know, fed by angels and ravens. On he wanders back to the place where God spoke, and hmm. he gets there to Mount Hor, and and God says, "What are you doing here?" 
you know, this is, and, and he starts playing the tape. I'm the only guy in Israel who trusts you, da, 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 da. And the antidote for Elijah, this quintessential prophet, this one of the two that shows up on the Mount of Transfiguration, the, the antidote that God gives him is go back the way you came. You have thought yourself here. Hmm. Go back the way you came. And when you get there, I will give you two or three guys to, to, to have your back, if you will. Hmm. And I think... So I'm saying two or three things. One is to feel depressed or anxious is a natural thing. Hmm. Uh, God wants to be with us in that. My experience is that most often he is with us when there are one or two people who show up to walk with us in that and walk us through it and out of it. Yeah. And uh, so that's that's a very short answer to a big question, but no. it's, it's my response. It. Yeah. Dick, the other question that 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 person sent in was um, when I started in ministry, going to a counselor was looked down on or I felt that it was looked down on. What has been the shift to make it more common for pastors and missionaries to seek help? I think historically it's been a challenge for spiritual leaders, pastors, missionaries uh, to to let themselves be vulnerable. Hmm. to let people know, you know, I'm struggling with this. And so you stew in your own juices, if you will. Hmm. But, but, but uh, back in the day, and especially pre-COVID, let's just yeah. use that as a marker. Um, if, if a person had a couple of one or two close friends, and this is coming back to the previous point, yeah, 80% um, of the stuff we go through pretty much can be talked through with friends. Yeah. I think for the other 20%, 10 or 20%, to be able to sit with somebody who's heard everything you're going to tell them before, yeah. probably a hundred times over. Yeah. And say, let me give you some perspective on this. And let mm -hmm. me give you a couple of things to do that can help with this. It's very much like going to a doctor. Hmm. A, a physical medical doctor, a yeah. doctor, and you know this from being a PhD in nursing, the people you help, help you by telling, by them telling you their history. Yeah, You're sure. going to say, do you have this in your family? Have yeah. you had this before? How bad was it before? Da, 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 da. Yeah. That's what a counselor does. A counselor is sort of an emotional, spiritual uh, mind doctor. Hmm. Not, you doesn't have to be a psychiatrist, but, but so... I think prior or in earlier days, counseling was looked down on as a substitute for the Holy Spirit really helping me. Wow. And I think that's a crock. Hmm. I, think, I think we need to understand that there are counselors who are, in fact, anointed by the Holy Spirit to hmm. give us insights and helps in times of trouble. Wow. And, uh, it, you know, Elijah found this out. Um, it may be spiritual warfare, but it's still warfare. Yeah. And people get battle fatigue and PTSD. Yeah. And in those moments, they need somebody to help. Yeah. Gold as always, Dick. Appreciate you so much investing um, and listeners around the world. We're going to go ahead and jump into our interview today with Jim Burns, where we talk about an intimate marriage. Had a fascinating conversation with him and just appreciate his, his wisdom and insight when it comes to marriage. Well, there's no time better than now to get started. So here we go. 
Greetings and welcome back to the Clarity Podcast. So excited to have our friend Jim Burns back on the podcast. Um, we interviewed him a, a few weeks ago on uh, raising adult children, and it was phenomenally received. And so excited to learn from him again today about marriage. Jim, welcome to the podcast. Aaron, great to be with you. You're like, you know, one of my new great friends. I really enjoy <laughs> talking with you, and, and I love what you're doing. I appreciate it very, very much. Jim, for those who didn't listen to the last podcast, could you just take a minute or two and just share a little about, about yourself? Yeah. Well, I'm actually the president of Homeward, and Homeward has four values, uh, strong marriages, confident parents, empowered kids, and healthy leaders. And so all mm-hmm. of our, our content and all of that we what we do is, is around those four values. And uh, Homeward is the largest provider of parenting seminars in the U.S., and what's cool about it is during the pandemic, we moved it digitally. So we do it in person now because here in the U.S. we can get, you know, in person more. And actually, you know, we're doing a little bit more of our international work because we can get out there now. And uh, but we've turned it digitally and it's been really, really, really a neat part to what we do, just like what you and I are doing. I mean, here yeah. you and I are having a conversation as two friends many miles away, <laughs> kilometers for some. And um you know, and here we can have this conversation and and uh, hopefully some of the listeners can be helped a lot. So anyway, Homeward's a great organization, has great content. It's a nonprofit. Uh, we come alongside um, mainly parents and then those who work with kids, which would be, um, you know, family ministry people, things like that. Yeah. Very cool. Very cool. We'll put a link to that in the show notes. And um, yeah, just so so excited to have you with us today. We're going to talk about, um, you know, I was reading your book, Creating an, an Intimate Marriage. Found it very valuable. A lot of dog ears and a lot of underlines and all the other things that go with that. Um, but I wanted to just ask you, one of the first questions was making, you talk about making marriage a priority and um, how the in ministry or in actually maybe just in general life, there's other responsibilities that can end up impacting that. Can you share more about how our other responsibilities can negatively impact our marriages? Yeah. Well, a little backstory, Aaron, and this is kind of interesting to maybe some of your listeners, is that Kathy and I, my wife and I, who've been married 47 years, and we we say we have a high-maintenance marriage, <laughs> and it's been great, but it's still high-maintenance. We started speaking to pastors and youth pastors and you know anybody who would listen to us at major conferences. We got for some reason, people wanted us to talk about marriage. So we started not just talking to the, now I, t- I speak more to the general public on that kind of stuff okay. and creating an intimate marriage became general public. But a lot of that material was, was when we were talking with, with pastors, missionaries, things like that. And, uh, and what I found because it was our life too, is we had some real confused priorities. I mean, you have God, yeah. your marriage, um, should be second, but a lot of times it's not child. Ch- and if you have children, you know, that you become child focused and then yeah. your vocation, we found, at least for me, my vocation got in the way of my priority of my relationship with God, or even sometimes my relationship with Kathy. Hmm. So for us, we had this aha moment going, you know what, we need to reprioritize this because it's not working. And I even said to Kathy after, uh, a very successful kind of youth ministry with numbers anyway, yeah. um, we were one night out to dinner and I said, Hey, we're, and she was like saying, I'm not even sure we should have kids and this is not going well. And I, you know, you're always with everybody else. And I don't know if you'd be good with other people with it. You're great with other people's kids. I don't know about yours. And I Hmm. said, I'm having an affair. And, and she looked at me and I said, well, the affair isn't with a woman. I said, the affair is with my job. My mistress was my work. Wow. So I had to reprioritize. And actually, we don't have the napkin. I wish we did. But we wrote on this napkin that we would have a non-negotiable date night because we hadn't been dating. I mean, we dated all through you know, our, our dating time and then our you know engagement time. And then we kind of quit dating. 
And uh, my work schedule was out of control. And, you know, the church loved me. I mean, people who are in ministry would get this. They doubled my salary in one year. I've told people that's a greater wow. miracle than Jesus walking on water. <laughs> and it still wasn't, it still wasn't an impressive salary. That's what's crazy. <laughs> but, but, you know, we, so we had a, a non-negotiable date night. Uh, we would only be out three nights a week because we felt I was out, you know, the average person in ministry here in the States is out about five nights a week, hmm. sometimes missionaries even more. Yeah. And so we said, our marriage couldn't handle that. And so we said, we'll be out three nights a week. And I actually had to go to my pastor and say, we're trying to reprioritize some things. And I'm going to do all the same stuff, but I'm going to pile them together on certain days. And, you know, Kathy used to say, we have a Messiah. He's doing very well. You do not need to replace him. <laughs> and you know, so I was just, I'm a people pleaser at heart. And so, you know, somebody calls, I'm there, you know, yeah. and at, at the, you know, I'm there and I'm also ignoring, you know, this in hmm. somewhat beautiful new bride for me. I mean, we were, we were newly weds in some ways. Yeah. And then the third one was that Kathy had veto power of my schedule. And that was really good because I was making some to schedule, some schedule decisions, not based on the priority that I think God would want or the priority that we had really talked about. And that has been really good over hmm. the years that there've been times when she was, and now, you know, kids come along and life moves on. But, you know, there are times when I think she really had a better handle on our family. So sometimes somebody would ask me to speak or somebody would ask me to do something and she'd go, you know, there's a possibility. I know it's eight months away, but, you know, there's a possibility that's homecoming and Christy could be in the homecoming court. Wow. And do you really want to be speaking someplace and and missing that? Yeah, it was awesome. I mean, I remember it was a that's a true story. I was I was going to speak in Canada. I was thrilled to get this offer. Finally, it was like five thousand kids. Uh, when I used to speak to kids and she said that, and you know, that eight, eight months later, I am walking her, you know, at, at the homecoming, you know, deal. And guess what? They found somebody else. And you know what? The next year I spoke and it was great. Okay. Yeah. So she had a better insight into our family than me. When we did that, it didn't get perfect, but it sure said to Kathy, especially, Jim's trying to make this a priority because I really don't feel like I I did. I, I wanted to, I mean, it was, yeah. I'm mad. I mean, you'd ask me and I, I could talk on this stuff, but I wasn't, my actions didn't speak that way. So for us, it we almost, you know how that this happens sometimes you have to have a bad experience in order. And our experience was like, we were losing intimacy. I didn't know what intimacy was. Mm -hmm. My dad was an alcoholic. And so intimacy means connection. And I think women do better with this than men. And I just didn't, I didn't have a role model and Kathy deeply wanted intimacy. And I'm not talking about, I mean, she wanted physical intimacy, right. so did I, but she right. wanted, um, she wanted connection. Hmm. And, and I wasn't giving that to her because I had so many other things on my plate. Yeah. Jim, if somebody's listening in and they're thinking, yes, they want to do this, but there, there's some hesitancy or some fear in their hearts. You shared about being a people pleaser. I'm also a people pleaser. And so that hesitancy of saying, I want to prioritize my, my marriage, but I'm concerned if I do what the consequences will be. Do you have any words of encouragement or wisdom for somebody asking that question? Yeah. Well, I, th I think there are going to be people who are going to say, what? You're not, you're now not on, you're not doing the leadership event on, you know, on Sundays. And, yeah. you know, or I remember we had, we had this church first, uh, administrative assistant who, you know, I would work morning, noon and night, but <laughs> if I came in at like 10, she'd go, Oh, bankers out, you know, kind of be hassling me. And I felt bad. And I'm thinking, wait a minute, I go, I'm coming home at 11 o'clock at night. You're not doing that. You're, you know, you're, I mean, yeah. but I let her get to me. Yeah. And so I had to, I had to really focus on what is my, uh, you know, my right relationship with God and what would Kathy want? Yeah. And I found that the more I 
you know, put my priorities more in place and scheduled my priorities, the, the, actually the, the better, all things came in, you know, when G, when Jesus said, you know, uh, when he, when, when he talked about, you know, seek first the kingdom of God, and then all these other things will be added. Well, that kind of happened to me. And for me, there's a phrase that, that, you know, was in my head all the time. The key is not to prioritize what's on your schedule, but to schedule your priorities. Hmm. And so the change for me was scheduling my priorities. So, I mean, on my calendar, you can see this today. If you see my calendar, it has date night with Kathy tomorrow's date night and it has date night with Kathy. Well, I don't need to do that. I know when date night is, but it's just there. Yeah. Um, My time with God, you know, this morning I got up and I worked out um, you and I are talking, it's a little bit different hour than, than here. And, and I, and I worked out, but I won't go back into work until I get my devotions done just because that I'm, and I'm kind of obsessive compulsive about that, but it's also something I can cross. I'm one of these, you know, yeah. cross off the list. Yeah. It's on my list. Yeah. So even mm-hmm. my assistant knows Jim's not coming in. He's with Aaron at, at eight o'clock here, our yeah. time. And, and he's not coming in, um, right at nine because yeah. he's going to take a, you know, 20 minutes. Cause that's yeah. kind of what I do. And yeah, you know, it's not going to change anything. I mean, it'll help me. Yeah, for sure. Good word. Good word. One of the things I underlined and uh, my wife and I talked about was in the book was a W E or all um, an acronym that you use to share about a healthy marriage. Can you share that uh, a little bit about a W E or all? I don't know how you yeah. pronounce, yeah. I read it as all, but I don't know if that's, no, it's, how you it's all, it. but it's actually just an acronym that stands for affection, warmth, and encouragement. And if we were at my office on my desk, I could actually pick it up. It's a little posted note that I think was white, but now it's yellow. And I just have A period, W period, E period. And it started with Kathy. I I realized that when it comes to communication, when it comes to relationships, um, ones that thrive have you know plenty of affection. And I'm not just talking about sexual intimacy, I'm talking about affection. Um, affection, warmth, where we set the tone in the atmosphere. A lot of homes don't have a good atmosphere or a hmm. tone. So there's warmth and then encouragement, lots of encouragement. I, I realized, and I've told people this lots of times, if you're not your spouse's greatest cheerleader, somebody else could take the place. And hmm. if they're your, if they're the greatest cheerleader and let's say they're opposite sex or whatever, sometimes that's where affairs come. It's not because of you're sexually attracted, you're attracted yeah. because you're getting all this praise, right? Yeah. So I started trying to work on that more. Hmm. And UCLA came out with a study some time ago that said it takes eight to 10 meaningful touches for someone to thrive. And I went, wow, that, that would relate to my, my wife. She, if we go to a movie, she wants me to put my arm around her. You know, we hold hands, things like that. I, I, we had a funny experience. We were at Griffith park in Los Angeles hiking. And my, I have a daughter who lives up that way. And there were these two people on Walker, literally they were on walkers and they were walking over to the mare ground to sit on a park bench and I, I said to Kathy, this just happened. I go, I want to be those people someday. And she goes, minus the walkers, I hope, because they were holding hands as they wow. were on these walkers. Just this beautiful wow. sight. Yeah. Well, for Kathy, that gives her security. It gives her security if I give her a kiss in front of people. Yeah. Um, you know, that, and, and, you know, when you're in ministry, like I'm in ministry, I mean, sometimes she's like, oh my gosh, there's all these people who want him and need yeah. him and, and want to talk to him and all this kind of stuff. I need to go right to her and show her, you know, affection. She needs yeah. to, her affection cup needs to be full. And warmth is that, you know, gosh, I'm going to be warm with you. We're friends. We're going to talk. We're not, we don't, I'm not going to be all, you know, sassy, but yet right. what happens is we come home sometimes and, and we set a really horrible tone or atmosphere. Hmm. And we're tone deaf, if you would, but not with music. We're tone deaf with, you know, just the way we do do this. And so 
I started thinking, who are the warmest people I know? And one was my mom. My dad was an alcoholic. My mom was the lady who, if somebody came to my house when I was a teenager and said, hey, is Jim home? No, he's down at the gym playing basketball. Yeah. Well, can I just come in and hang out with you? I mean, that was my mom. Wow. And so I wanted to be, I wanted to treat Kathy like my mom treated all people. Hmm. And then what I realized was I also needed to be her best encourager. Hmm. And, uh, and I'm not talking about fake Pollyanna stuff, but you know, there's always things I can find. Uh, you know, as Mark Twain said, I can live two months on one good compliment. And I even was reading recently where Jesus looked at Simon and said, your name's no longer Simon. Your name is Peter or Petros. He nicknamed him the rock. And all of a sudden it dawned on me, there's nobody named 22,000 years ago. There was nobody named rock or yeah. Peter. Right. And so Jesus believed in him. I need to believe in Kathy Yeah. And, and, and always be rooting for her. Um, and do I do that perfectly? No, but because it's ever present in my mind, it's a form of communication. Hmm. So a lot of times when I'm doing a, um, any, any of our digital work or any of our courses or any of the things that I speak on when I'm speaking on marriage, I always say this, that communication is a learned trait. I learned that from a man named Neil Clark Warren, who founded eHarmony, mm-hmm. and he was a great friend and a mentor. And uh, fascinating enough, he taught me that you know communication is a learned trait. Well, communication isn't just conflict. It is. How do you do conflict resolution? But it's also creating an atmosphere. And awe is the atmosphere that works with me. But you know what? It also works with my kids. It works on a different level with people at work. Um, so it's, it's, you just touched on a major thing for me. I could go on and on. No, 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 it's excellent. But that's, I, you talked about atmosphere. So that idea that maybe a home is not, I think you said maybe it's not a positive or maybe there's just not a positive atmosphere. If somebody listening into that and they hear that, how can they begin to assess? And is that something they can change or how do they, no, yeah, no. that the atmosphere of home. They can change it. Even one person can change it. Now, again, if you have, if you're married to negative Nancy or you are negative Ned or vice right. versa, you know, it's hard because yeah. it's not like just because you went positive one day, they're going to go, Oh, I get it. And life's good. <laughs> and so, but it's a process. And the question I always ask is like, say even in a, when conflict comes. And so of course, you know, there's not a good tone then when conflict comes, do I have a need to be right? Or do I need have a need to make the marriage better? Hmm. So, a need to be right says I'm going to get defensive. I'm going to, and I can out argue anybody, you know, so in my family anyway. And so I, you know, easy, but then I've set a horrible tone, but if I have a need to make the marriage better or the relationship better, then that means I've got to do a little bit more work and I'm going to have to have some, some better tone. Yeah. Uh, we had a, Kathy and I really don't, we used to fight more, even though I'm, I'm more of a rep- I repress my stuff. Kathy, her family, like, wanted yeah. to put it out there and let's, you know, duke it out, not physically, but you know what I mean? So I'm like, ah, who is this person, you know, that I married? But, um, so I'm more of a stuffer, but we, we still could kind of bicker. It's kind of funny. These two, you know, 47 year marriage now people bickering, but, um, and, and I said, Kathy, help me understand why you don't think this is a good idea. Mm-hmm. And, um, and I said, honestly, I, I, I want to know. And she told me, and, um, and I said, well, I'm going to agree to disagree with you, but you know what? I trust you so much on other things that I'm going to go with this, even though it's really not how I would do it. You know, And it's funny because I'm not saying this is how you win an argument, but about, I'd say about 15 minutes later, she came back and she goes, so what would you do? And I said, well, I would have probably done this. And she goes, I can do that. Yeah. And I went, oh my gosh, well, you know what? If I would have gone after her right then, 
No way. That would have never done it. Yeah. And I'm not saying you do that to get your way. Right. I'm saying right. you do it to go, look at, I respect you. Yeah. And so when it comes to setting a tone, it's, it's, it's respect. I, the other thing is if we're so tired, you know, I think one of the things that happens with leaders is that we get, and families is this breathless pace in which we live our lives. So we're dangerously tired. Hmm. So we make it through work and then we get home and we become, you know, horrible right. to each other because we're just exhausted. So I think you got to save a little of that room and begin to treat. I went, you know, I'm treating people at work who I hardly know and who won't be around in five years better than I'm treating my wife. What, yeah. what is that all yeah. about? And so that helped me understand it. But it's, it's, it was also the, you know, more the, the tired thing. I, when I graduated from Princeton years ago in master's degree thing, a friend of mine wrote me a note and he said, dear Jim, if the devil can't make you bad, he'll make you busy. Well, that was prophetic for me, Aaron, because it's not like I was going to be in the arms of another woman. It wasn't going to be that I was going to embezzle money. I was just going to be so busy that I was going to miss the most important things. And so I think sometimes you ask about warmth, but I don't think you can have a lot of warmth if you're living your life at at such a out of control pace. We become overcommitted and Mm -hmm. underconnected. And so when we're over and we who want to help the world, we are overcommitted doing good things, but we're so underconnected with our primary relationships because, you know, again, back to the Kathy thing saying, we have a Messiah, he's doing well, would you quit trying to replace him? You know, <laughs> duh. Oh, man, good word, good word. One of the other things I, I highlighted, you talked about um, that depression and hopelessness um, can also can, if they're not resolved, can end up turning into defense defensiveness. And how can these unresolved maybe emotions impact a marriage? Yeah, well, you know, I have a friend, his name is Henry Cloud. Some of the listeners would know Henry. Yeah. He's written books on boundaries. He actually was an intern for me when he was going to grad school. And, wow. you know, now he's a big, big time guy. He's <laughs> doing all kinds of stuff. But he had a phrase somewhere just in passing. And I just picked it up. He said, if the tooth is infected, pull it, which hmm. means don't pull a marriage. Don't pull everything. Pull what's infecting your life. Well, the good news today, the, the bad news is, people are going to have depression and anxiety more than ever before. And I get it. We've just gone through a pandemic. And I think people who, uh, you know, are doing some of the, some of the people who are listening to this uh, podcast, you know, they've got some, you know, deep issues going on and, you know, there's problems and, or even they have a spouse who does. And what I'd say is that, so that's bad news. The good news is there really is help today with things like depression and anxiety, and there's not a magic cure. I mean, I know people who have prayed and God has, literally healed them of that. That's rare. What I also know is that people have had to do the deep work and um, and sometimes even take some medication, to be honest, to, to work through some of that. When Kathy um, had our middle child, we adopted Christy, our oldest. When, when, she, adopt, when she, uh, she had Becca, she went into a depression because of kind of a postpartum type thing. Yeah. And our hormones were all messed up and oh man, it was, it was weird. And you know, our relationship was just weird I, because I thought it was supposed to in marriage. It was supposed to be a 50, 50 deal. Mm-hmm. I realized during that time I carried her 75, 25 at least, mm-hmm. but you know, that's, that's what you do. That's your yeah. commitment. But I also challenged Kathy to make sure that she was getting all the help she could get. And, mm-hmm. you know, literally she got the help and that didn't, you know, that didn't, uh, come back. Yeah. Uh, well, when I say it didn't come back, postpartum type stuff didn't come back, but Kathy's worked with depression in her life. She's had to deal with mm-hmm. it. And I really appreciate that. She doesn't just go, okay, I'm going to lay in bed for the next you know, 12 days. Right. I'm going to, I'm going to get up. I'm going to, I know what it takes to do this. 
And I'm not going to let it affect the depth of my life because there is help and hope. I appreciate that. Yeah, I mean, I told one person about two weeks ago who was going through something and there wasn't a whole lot they could do right then. And I just said, start reading the Psalms. You know, I mean, the Psalms that even the you'll see depression in the Psalms. There's the lament Psalms, yeah. but but read Psalms, read Proverbs. You know, those are going to be things that are going to uplift you. Be around uplifting people. Who are your replenishing relationships that bring you up? Go after them. Yeah. Um, you know, those are the kinds of things. So again, no easy answers on that. Right. And don't think that just because you're a Christian, you're you're going to not experience at times depression or anxiety. Yeah. That is not the case. When I became a Christian, I actually thought all my problems were going to go away. I became a Christian when I was 16. I went, oh, and I didn't have a whole lot of problems. I was only 16, but I thought I did. Problems. <laughs> and I found I had more problems because I got more engaged. I was yeah. like, oh, my God. <laughs> I, I probably would have drank that away. Yeah. Not that I was a drinker, but because I had right. alcoholism in my family, I would have drank, tried to drink my depression away. When in fact now it's harder because you got to lean into it and you know figure it out. Yeah, for sure, for sure. You talk about a critical spirit and nagging and how they can decrease intimacy in a marriage. Um, yeah. You just share about those two. I think sure. sometimes probably men we would ascribe to being the critical spirit and nagging to ladies, but I think yeah. it probably can be vice versa. Um, so oh, I think I think Aaron, men you can, are so right. It can be men it can, be. Men can nag and and women yeah. can have nag. So I don't think it's a gender bias thing, no. but this critical no. spirit and nagging. No, I, I think negativity can close a spirit in a relationship mm. quicker than a wildfire flyer, uh, wildfire. I said flyer. Um, I'm not sure I know what that is, but, um, you know, I, I really do. I, I worry about it. Even in in Paul said, you know, do all things without grumbling and complaining. And sometimes it's a habit of just being grumblers and complainers. Uh, but negativity, even when it's and, and constant criticism, even when it's justified, breaks apart mm-hmm. a marriage. And so what, what the researchers are saying is that if, if you have positivity toward your spouse, that that's one of the main steps of keeping it going. Yeah. And those who have, so they call it the magic ratio. So for every uh, one, uh, five, let's say t- the magic ratio is five positive interactions to one negative interaction. You're going to have negative interactions. Right. But what uh, some of the deep researchers, I mean, the strongest researchers in the world say is that if you go one to one, one positive interaction to one negative interaction, that actually your marriage is on the brink of disaster. Hmm. And yet a lot of marriages actually have more negative you know, interactions. Wow. So I think we really have to be very careful. Uh, my daughter, Becca, uh, has a master's degree in clinical psych, and she taught me a word oh, about four years ago. Uh, it's in the dictionary. You can look it up. It's called awful eyes, awful eyes. Hmm. And it means when you when you take everything to the most negative. Hmm. Well, awfulizers never do well in a marriage, see, hmm. because, you know, you're, my husband's late for work. Um, uh, you know, again, he's probably having an affair. You know, our fifth grader is, uh, you know, is going to impregnate the entire class. <laughs> you know, he's only in fifth grade. I mean, give me a break. But we tend to go that way. So so how do you overcome that? You've, you honestly have to work within your own spirit because a critical spirit is not going to enhance a relationship. Wow. There's a difference between a critical spirit um, than an analytical spirit. For example, my wife, Kathy, is an, an analytic. So hmm. I'll, you know, I'm going to go light on stuff and she's going to analyze it. Well, you know, I now like who does the finances in our marriage? Yeah. 
Kathy. Okay. Why? Because she's analytical. She gets it done. You know, she wants to show me a spreadsheet. I wouldn't even know how to start that. I <laughs> scare people. Um, and that's scary talking from the president of Homeward who has to look at spreadsheets all the time from somebody else who gives them to me. But the point being is, uh, no, negativity can be very, very negative or very, very uh, uh, worrisome in a relationship. And what's hard is when you're more positive, when you're the more positive one, you just want to go get over this, you know, well, that's not going to help them, Hmm. but there are tools, you know, to help them get over that. And, uh, you know, when I, I I talked about Neil Clark Warren a minute ago, and he, he's a marriage expert and, uh, he had written before he, he got into eHarmony, um, he was a, he was a marriage professor at a, at a, uh, theological seminary. And one of the things that I always thought was interesting with him is he said, I asked him, what is the you know, most important trait to a successful marriage? And he said, positive adaptability. Wow. And I loved that. Hmm. Um, and then we talked about negativity hmm. where that's, you know, the, you know, the negative put downs. I mean, it's not even good in, in communication, yeah. but yet yeah. it's the lazy way to do it. Hmm. So you and I talked about our adult children you know, a few weeks ago, we were talking about how we have to bite our, our tongue, you know, keep the welcome out, out your yeah. mouth shut. That's um, right. But you know what? Even in a marriage, sometimes you have to, you know, I think you have to bite your tongue. You know, yeah. my friend, Doug yeah. Fields, we do marriage conferences together. And he always says, don't say everything you think. Hmm. You know, that's not, that's not going to win. Hmm. So again, I'm not saying repress things. I'm just saying, don't say everything you think. Yeah, that's good. Good, good stuff. You talk also about um, making uh, sexual intimacy a priority in marriage. Um, you yeah. just share about that. That's something yeah. uh, I think sometimes in the Christian world we veer away from. We don't want to talk about it, but the reality of it is it's part yeah, of healthy I mean, marriage. I mean, what's crazy about it is God created sex. That's true. God sees it as very good. Read Genesis one and two. Right. I mean, he has he has guardrails in right. you know right. the Ten Commandments: don't commit adultery, right. flee from sexual immorality. Duh. I mean, our, you could not be a Christian and, and follow those, and those are all right. that's going to work for you, right? Right. But. So, but what happens is I think it's because our parents probably didn't talk to us about a healthy view of sexuality, but all studies show that the more positive value centered sex education kids receive from home, the more promiscuous, the, the less promiscuous they'll be and the, and the less confused. Wow. So, because we didn't get that, we still have some weird tapes in our mind. Hmm. So, you know, sexual intimacy, that's a beautiful thing. Intimacy is connection. Jesus yeah. said, a man will leave his father and mother, be united to his wife. You think he was talking about, you know, eating? No, he was talking about <laughs> a sexual union. I mean, For it's sure. so beautiful and so great. But some people have to get over it because what did they hear? I mean, they heard, don't do it. It's dirty, rotten, horrible. Save that dirty, rotten, horrible thing until you're married. And then on your honeymoon, it's going to be great. And you're like going, A, the honeymoon wasn't great. And B, I'm all messed up, right? So I think I think we have to make it a priority. I said to somebody a while back that, you know, if if their sexual relationship is out of tune, then their their whole marriage can be kind of out of tune. And, you know, there, it's funny. There's a secular song talking about sexual healing, or there's a secular song right. talking about sex, uh, sexual healing that I don't even agree with. But I do agree that sometimes beautiful, married, physical intimacy is, is incredibly healing. Hmm. And yet men and women look at it differently. I know there's a, there's a big push right now to say that all men and all women are exactly alike in all the things that they do. And I think that's a bunch of bunk myself, Hmm. but like for a man, for a man to have physical intimacy, that's when he feels emotionally connected for a woman. She needs to feel emotionally connected before she has really good 
you know, physical right. intimacy. And I say to women or, or to men all the time, I said it in this last conference I was just at, I said, men touch, touch the vacuum, touch the laundry, <laughs> you know, touch the dishes. Cause that's, that's foreplay to, right. to, to some women, you know, because they, their world, if their world is scattered and in a mess, they're not ready for, for right. physical intimacy, but, I, but it does have to become a priority. The other thing is, is that, you know, emotional intimacy, and we forget this, per- typically precedes good physical intimacy. I mean, you can have physical, you can have sex, right. but but emotional intimacy, and that, that means, you know, talking, connecting, um, that's what brings good physical intimacy. And if there's not good emotional connection, there's going to be very little good physical intimacy. Now, again, you can have sex. You, it's just not going to be what it was meant to be. Yeah. Wow. And that emotional intimacy, is that something we can grow in or is that sure. something that oh. any, any wisdom for how we can grow in our emotional sure. intimacy? Talk, talking to each other and communicating is sexy. Okay. So you know, I found that, you know, some, one time a guy said to me, this was early in my marriage and he goes, you know, sex begins in the kitchen in the morning. I'm like, yes. And he goes, no, 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 not that. It's, it's sitting over a cup of coffee and just asking, what, what are you going to do today? How's your day? You know, those kinds of things. Right. I'm going, oh, you know, I was all disappointed. But, but to me now, I realize that, you know, communicating with Kathy is sexy to her. And it's actually mm-hmm. kind of sexy to me, too. Yeah. So if we take that, if we, if we, like, I have a friend who they were having trouble with physical intimacy and other things. He's a major leader in the Christian world. Yeah. And I actually sent him to a great marriage initiative uh, in, it's called a marriage intensive in Branson, Missouri. It's four days. You pay $5,000 and, you know, it's an incredible thing. Right. I come back and uh, I, I was at, I happened to be at their house, which is random. And they're not in our area, but I was there for another reason. And, and uh, I said, Hey, how was the time? And they said, it was great. I said, what'd you learn? They said, we need to walk our dog together after dinner. Hmm. And I'm like, what? They said, yeah. Well, what they said was, you know, like we were, we're efficient. So she does the dishes and I walk the dog or I do the dishes and, and, and she walks the dog. But if we do it together, it'll connect us. And, you know, we walk the dog and sometimes it just leads right into the bedroom. Wow. I'm like, that costs you $5,000. I could have done that for like a, a taco dinner. Right. But the point being is, you know, part of it is communication. Now there's other issues too, of course, right. but, but I think that's, that's, you know, communicating, communicating and spending time together. So, so I have a friend who um, every morning they, and he's really busy and he is really, you know, has lots of money and whatnot, but every morning they sit and have coffee together. And then also after dinner, they have younger kids, you know, life is crazy and they just let the, you know, the craziness continue and they just sit there and, you know, they have a beverage of their choice. Yeah. I think for them, it's wine. And they sit there and they talk kind of knee to knee for about 15 minutes with yeah. all craziness going. And so what they've done is they've, they've connected. Yeah. The other thing I would say is studies show that if couples date, that it helps their lovemaking. So hmm. if you're on a date more often than not, and a date, I, I realize a date, I'm not talking going to the, you know, center at the performing arts thing i'm saying a date i mean you could put your kids to bed early and uh you know sit at the couch and have something special but if you have a designated time yeah and so i'm asking people to give one percent of their time one percent is 90 minutes of your Hmm. of your week so i say to couples are you willing to give your marriage one percent and uh like well yeah so one percent is is doing a date but the interesting side note to the date and i didn't realize this is secular research but if you have a date, there's a much better chance that you're going to have, you know, greater physical intimacy, yeah. not every time at the date, but, right. but that's going to happen. And 
you know, I, I see that. I was I was reminding Kathy of that when she after our date for about four weeks in a row, she wanted to go to the grocery store and just pick up a few things. Now you can see this because we're zooming. A few things meant, you know, the entire basket was full. And I'm like, it kind of spoiled that we went out to dinner. We did all these things. And then I'm like, now we're shopping for coffee, creamer. What is this? But anyway, uh, go with what you got to go with. Yeah. One last question for you. Spiritual intimacy. That's another thing you address in the book. Um, Many of the couples that are listening in, they're caring for others spiritually. They're investing in others spiritually. Um, But sometimes we can neglect our own marriage in that spiritual intimacy part. Can you just share share a little bit with us about spiritual intimacy? Yes. Yes. And it's actually not in the book that you read. It's something that I learned after that in some ways. Um, I think the least... um, Develop part of intimacy for a lot of people, and even the people who are listening to this are is spiritual intimacy. I mean, give me a break. That's kind of mm-hmm. what we do. And then at the same time, now we're not. One day, Kathy and I had to have mentors because neither one of us had parents who really showed us the way, both spiritually and um, relationally, marriage wise. And so we had this wonderful couple who we would meet with about four times a, a, a year. They were leader Christian leaders, but they happened to go to our church. So we're at dinner one time, and we're talking about parenting. They have kids who are older than our kids, and it was going great. And all of a sudden I just, we, Kathy would, and I would have a list. We'd ask him. And this time I said, Hey, what do you guys do for spiritual intimacy? And uh, his name is Jim. And he said, uh, we, we spend 20 minutes a week. And in my mind, there's a little bubble goes up and goes 20 minutes a week. How, how wimpy is that? And then I kind of go, well, we kind of don't, I mean, we pray together. I mean, we're, we're committed to right. ministry. I mean, but we're not exactly, you know, connect on it. And then I go, what do you do? And he goes, oh, you know, lately, Manya, her name is Manya. Um, she brings a devotional. We've been reading this devotional. And then we pray and we pray for our kids and we pray for missionaries and we pray for the people that we support in our church. And you guys, we pray for you guys. And I'm like, well, that sounds kind of boring. I mean, I didn't say that, but I was like, that's it. I was I was waiting for do something special. Right. And we went on to other questions. We get in the car and Kathy leans over to me and she goes, hey, you know, that 20 minute thing. I could, Yeah. She goes, I, I want to do that. Wow. And I went, oh, okay. So what am I going to say? No, I'm not going to give you 20 <laughs> minutes. I'm, here I am talking about spiritual intimacy and books and things. So I go, okay, when do you want to do it? She goes, nine o'clock on Sunday. I go, wow, you thought about this. She goes, wow. I did. So that next Sunday, I'm watching a Lakers game. If you knew me, you would go, whoa, he's, don't interrupt him during the Lakers game. I'm watching a Lakers game and she just comes, takes the remote control, stops it and sits next to me. I go, hey, what's up? I'd totally forgotten. Right. Yeah. And so she pulls out a devotional. We read the devotion and she goes, it's time. And I go, oh, okay. I wasn't negative about it, but I was glad she was doing it. Cause I said, I don't want to do another Bible study. I don't want to do something intense. Right. So she reads this devotional and then we prayed for our kids and it was cool. I mean, it was good. Yeah. It wasn't life-changing. The time. Wait, you know, I think the annoying. We're, we're our ministry, our kids, our each other was being held over this time period, see? And so we call it our closer time. Hmm. We started talking to pastors about this. And so we're only asking for, you know, here we tell you you're too busy. And now we're saying, take 20 minutes to do this. And you know what? It was revolutionary. One of the best-selling books we have is a book called Closer that, that Kathy and I wrote. And it's 52 devotionals. Nobody needs to buy the book because if they just do the 20 minutes, they don't need our content. They just right. go spend 20 minutes. 
And, you know, there have been times where it's been great and there's been times where it's not. But like today, I went to the gym, but I knew I was going to be with you. So I skipped on a couple things and I worked hard. I did a little bit of sweat, but not too. I mean, it wasn't yeah. going to be life changing. You know what? It's I'm just building up. I'm just yeah. working on, you know, yeah. what's going on. Well, that's what you do with a spiritual thing. Mm-hmm. And then the other thing that happened, this may be too long of an answer for you, but the that's other thing good. that happened for me was a man named Dr. David Stoop, mentor in my life, was speaking at a homeward event on marriage to a lot of us leaders. And he said, and he quoted something out of uh, Columbia University. He said, you know, the divorce rate's about 50%. Um, and, and it's a little less, but, you know, it's just, it's out there. People say that. Right. And like, they get it because there was two point, in America, there were 2.1 million marriages a couple of years ago, two years ago when they did it, and 900,000 divorces. So it's about that. Yeah. But, you know, some people yeah. divorce three and four times. So, right. right. Anyway, he goes 50%. He said, but if you pray together, there's this study says that it's one out of 1,100 get a divorce if you pray together daily. And so he challenged us to pray together daily. So Kathy and I took that challenge up and we kind of had been doing that. Not great. Like, I I mean, I don't pray in bed. I mean, I'm praying one night in the middle of my prayer. I fall asleep and Kathy's like, Jim? So she's like, seriously, you're praying and you fall asleep on your own prayer? Give me a break. So, you know, I'm not a good prayer in bed. I'll just tell you. I, I like other things for bed, sleeping and that other stuff you're talking about. But, um, but what I found was those disciplines brought us more intimacy. Yeah. And it was a time, I found that the 20 minute time was also a time for Kathy to go, well, I'm just not doing good right now. You know, Kathy in July had uh, found out had breast cancer, had two surgeries. Um, and our 20 minutes has continued to do the same exact stuff, but it's also breast cancer report, how she's mm-hmm. doing with radiation, um, what's going on with the, you know, some yeah. medication that she's taking, things like that. And it's really been great. Yeah. And then I, and then I, then I'm praying, you know, for her and, and, and things are going great with her on that, but it's still, you know, it's a time for us to share. It's a time for, I remember uh, many years ago now, but with Homeward, our, you know, the, we, the country went into recession, our donor base just crashed. Hmm. And so during that time, it, it was a time she would, she'd want to check up. How are you, how are hmm. you doing? I mean, my gosh, you just had to lay off, you know, five people, Yeah. At, you know, at work. What, how is that going? And I go, yeah. it's terrible. I hate it. And then yeah. she would take my hand and she would pray for me. She didn't make it better. Yeah. She just prayed. Wow. And we have found that that has been a great thing for us. Now yeah. I realized it's, it sounds so simplistic, but you know what? Start simple, take baby steps, yeah, do something word. like that. 20 minutes, take good 20 word. minutes closer. Good word. Jim, it's always a joy to spend some time with you. You pray for us today. You pray for the yeah, marriages absolutely. of those listening in. Yep. Thank you so much, Lord, for the people who are listening to this podcast and for their commitment to you and for their commitment to one another. And I pray, God, that you would give them strength. Thank you for Aaron and his voice to these people and use this podcast, not just this one, but, you know, all of them to uh, to help us be people who uh, can develop a, a even more effective relationship with you and a more effective relationship with those we love. And we, we commit this time to you in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen.